as an investor, I'm not in the day-to-day. And so sometimes they became not as reachable. And then the company is stuck without my decision per se. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And I want to thank and welcome my listeners from Indonesia to today's podcast episode. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Kevin Sutantio. Kevin, are you ready to join the mission? I am, Andrew. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. And, you know, one of the funniest things, Kevin, when I first moved to Thailand, I was teaching finance. So 31 years ago. And I had my first class and I did what every teacher in America does is I say, I'm going to call the role. And so I had a list of 30 Thai students and you know how Thais, Thais people's names are super long. And I realized after about the third name, I was like, I'm never going to be able to pronounce these names. Now I'm pretty good at Thai names, but what about Indonesian names? Are they long like Thailand? It doesn't seem like they're as long. It can be long. I would say on average, not as much, you know, so you can see my last name. I think that's just about the average. And so I do know that Thai last names, Thai names in general, you know, can have, you know, quite a few syllables there. Yeah. It's an interesting difference. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I've had a, an opportunity to kind of travel around Asia a lot over my life and my career. And I've, I've definitely enjoyed my times in Jakarta, which is the main place that I've been mainly going, you know, as an analyst, but so let me introduce you to the audience. Kevin is the partner for Southeast Asia investments for Sovereign's Capital, a venture capital fund focused on early stage tech-driven scalable companies. Kevin was an active angel investor in both the U.S. and Southeast Asia prior to his work at Sovereign's Capital. He was an operator investor for four years at an environmental biotechnology company focused on waste management. Kevin also has experience with the Indonesian public markets as a commissioner at a local Indonesian securities brokerage, maintaining a fit and proper standing with the Indonesian regulator. Kevin, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Well, one of the things I'd also like to add in there to my bio is that I'm a mechanical engineer by training. And so I believe that engineering is a wonderful discipline because it is a problem-solving discipline. And so I believe that I take that into my work and that, as you know, in business, in companies, things don't always work out according to our plans. As an engineer, I believe that I bring a positive spin to that. And I'm like, yo, let's, let's get to the other side of this issue. And I do believe that there's always a way. I believe that, you know, because of my investing experience in both public markets, as well as the early angel stage, like being in the VC sort of still early, you know, gives me this interesting perspective of that, you know, what does an exit look like? You know, how is it, is an IPO feasible? Because I've seen that. And in an early stage investment as well, is that, you know, hmm, is this a, is this a scalable company? So I think that my previous experiences has really helped me for this role that I am in right now. And it's an interesting point because as a CFA charter holder and being involved in CFA all my 
life, basically, there's a lot of engineers that want to enter the world of finance and they really adapt well because of the structured way that they've learned and as you say, problem solving, but there's a logical framework. And I've seen that a lot. I also have a, an online course I do called Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp. And in that bootcamp, I have a lot of engineers that say, I want to learn finance and start working in finance. So that's an interesting, and, and you can see the uniqueness of the engineer is the structured or logical thinking. And as you just said, that I hadn't thought about a problem solving framework. Interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. And tell us just a little bit about what types of things you're invested in. I know I just love the the final part of what I read about the company and what you're doing is scalable companies. I mean, here we are in Thailand, I'm in Thailand, you're in Indonesia, and we got lots of little companies that are trying to solve local little problems, but man, is it really scalable? Well, maybe in Indonesia, maybe the population is large enough that it's scalable in Indonesia. In Thailand, I think that's a little bit more doubtful given that, you know, it's a much smaller population, but what does it mean? Like, what are you guys doing? What types of things are you looking at? And particularly this idea of scalable. Yeah. And I'd also like to start off that with, you know, to all of your listeners, and I know that there's probably varying degrees of people who are familiar with venture. And one thing that I always like to tell everyone that I meet is, is that not every business is suited to be a venture-backed business. And that does not mean it's not an excellent business. So for example, if you have a cafe, two cafes, five cafes, 10 cafes, that is an excellent, excellent business. This business will put your kids through college. It'll support your family, perhaps for many generations. And so what I like is, is that I tell people that, well, actually, a venture company is not necessarily this type of business. It is something that you can get these economies of scale and that this company, you know, can grow to perhaps a billion dollar, what we call in the industry, a unicorn kind of company in a short period of time. Venture capital firms are usually anywhere between seven to 10 years in terms of their lifespan and that we look to enter and exit within this time period. And some companies are not built to take in capital, grow fast, and then look to buy out their shareholders or to IPO M&A. Some companies are really meant to be generational and to, to be long lasting. And so that is something that I believe that, you know, like people see venture capital as early stage capital and that's it. But we need to look at what's behind the mechanisms of venture capital to for you to decide in your business, are you a quote unquote venture capital scalable company? Yeah. And I, th I think that's an interesting point. As you said, like a restaurant or something like that, it's just, it's not an easy scalable thing. And as I, a friend of mine has a, a food truck in law, in America and I was talking to him about it and I said, a food truck business is either zero or 10. You know, if, if you come to me that you have one food truck. I'm sorry, it's just not, it's not a viable business unless you're just trying to earn a salary for yourself, right? You've got to think 10 food trucks in order for, to think about a business. Another calculation I do is I always tell people that from a business perspective, you got to rush to get to $7.5 million in revenue mm. as fast as possible. Why 7.5? Because if we look at just average 
gross profit margins of about 30% of the average business. And we look at the average net profit margin of about 6% of the average, let's say large business in that case. And then you look at the management team that you need and the infrastructure you need to scale a business. You know, you need seven and a half million dollars to be able to afford the management structure that makes it not a one man show or one woman show. And you need that money for the infrastructure that you need. Just simply putting in a world-class accounting system is costly. And so, you know, thinking about scaling. And I think that when I think about venture, I think about accelerating success. And I have one startup that I started many years ago, my best friend, Dale, which is a coffee business called Coffee Works here in Thailand. And it was a factory and we roasted coffee and we supplied hotels and coffee shops and restaurants and offices. And, and we still do. It's 30 years. Maybe a venture investment for the first seven you know, years or at maybe after our first couple of years, maybe it would have accelerated our progress. And then the venture could have exited and we still could have a long-term, you know, business. So I always, you know, think about that. And he and I debate and discuss that. Of course, in the end, we kept 80% control of that business and we control the cash flow of that business. And we haven't had, you know, maybe it would have been amazing or maybe it would have been a disruption by having that come in. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've seen plenty of instances where um, venture capital has been a distraction for a solid business, such as, you know, like the one that you just mentioned right now. Mm. And just well, last little thing about what you guys are doing if somebody's listening to this and they have a business and they're looking for funding and they're in, let's say, Southeast Asia, what is your ideal type of investment? Thank you for asking, Andrew. And so for Sovereign's Capital, we're looking at early stage, meaning usually at like the seed level. We are usually one of the first institutional investors to come into the round, maybe alongside angels, a little bit after angels. And we're looking for businesses that are generally software related that have an ability to scale. And one of the unique theses of Sovereign's Capital is, is that anyone can go to our website and see that actually we're a faith-driven fund. And that means that we actually put values into our investments in a way that we believe that you have to contribute to human flourishing. We're not looking for negative investments. I think, for example, that you know, there could be a company that makes a lot of money, but then if it somehow leads to the detriment of people, that's not something that we're interested in doing. And mm. so we believe that, you know, we're looking for big, excellent, scalable companies that actually have something in there that was that is either redemptive or a factor that leads to human flourishing. And I'd love to just give an example that we were an early investor in Grab and that we're very proud of that investment. And that what we've seen is, is that not only is Anthony Tan, the founder, a very, very openly faithful gentleman, but he has built a company that's built on great values that has helped many, many four-wheel, two-wheel drivers make a wage that's above the minimum wage in many regions, including my own, and help vendors increase their top line, that which was a big lifeline during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. this kind of business can be big and it just is inherently, you know, leading to the benefit of people. Maybe you can just briefly, before we go into the, the main question of this podcast, 
what does it mean? You use the word faith, but you also talk about, you know, obviously bringing good to the world. Mm. What, what does it mean when you say faith? Yes. And so I would say that the founders of Sovereign's Capital are very strong Christians. Mm. And what they have done, what they have seen is, is that in their experience of being entrepreneurs and being investors, that you need to provide and live your faith principles out. You can't just say one thing and then do another. You can't just be one way. You can't say something and just be another way. You have to live principally. And then we treat our companies principally. And so one of the things that we always like to say is that everyone can agree, right? That culture is a competitive advantage. And that, well, you know, like when you look at the Christian values, when you treat people as in, wow, you know, you're a real person. You're someone made in the image of God. That really changes the way that you look at your team. And then your team will then change the way that they treat your customers. And so we believe that, you know, that providing these values, you know, from the top down is beneficial. Mm. Makes for good business. That's a, that's great to hear. In fact, I've been working with some of my clients on their values and revisiting values. And, you know, it's interesting because where is the source of many of these values? Well, religion and Christianity also provides like, you know, do unto others as I'd like, you know, them to do unto me and, you know, the golden rule and all of that stuff. And I was just looking at the values in coffee works. And one of them is integrity. We cultivate a culture of honesty, transparency, and reliability in every decision and interaction, building deep trust and respect. There's a value. Spot on. There's a value. So I think that's a good, you know, good thought for everyone out there who's listening and, you know, ask the question too. In fact, I, I have a community that I, I have, and we had a meeting last night since I've been working on values. I asked people to tell me what's your values. And so for listeners out there, what are the values that you live by? And I, I also like to say that values are in present tense. They're not a aspiration, like a vision. Mm. We want to be here or there. Look at how you live right now. And what principles do you live by? And then start to develop, you know, those are my values. I'm living my values. Of course, if you're living a way that doesn't fit with your values, you need to, you know, think more deeply about your situation. But Values are, you know, and ultimately that's what employees buy into too, right? And customers, because if you have the, the values that connect with those, the people that you want to be working with and investing with, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, spot on. well, that, that's helpful for us to understand a little bit about what you guys are doing. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, what I love to share is kind of an amalgamation of a few bad startups. I mean, startup investments. It wasn't mm -hmm. a bad startup. It was a bad startup investor. <laughs> and so the story is centered around, you know, like an amalgamation of about two to three stories where I basically thought that I had more influence over the outcome of the company than I really did. And what I've learned as a startup investor is that you have to back the right founders and it's their company. We as investors usually take a minority position in the company, but my 
worst investments ever happened because I thought that for some reason or another, I knew a little bit better. I was a bit more experienced and I sort of directed them like, you should do this. You should do this instead of that. I would do this instead of that. That product, well, I would do it this way. And it comes to a point where, you know, in one situation, I believe there became like an over-dependency, you know, on my opinion. And as an investor, I'm not in the day-to-day. And so sometimes I became not as reachable. And then the company is stuck without my decision per se. Another one, it just led to sort of a friction between me and the founders that like, Kevin, you haven't been on the ground. And what you're saying is, you know, perhaps may work in your circle or world, but you're not seeing that this is what we see. And so you need to let us build the way that we believe is the right way. And so I've learned that, that what we as investors are here to guide companies, but not be prescriptive. We need to help them when they ask. We need to, you know, maintain, you know, positions sometimes, you know, on a high level, on a board level, and just tell them that like, hmm, what I've seen is this, what I've seen is this, but the decision ultimately has to come from the founder because it is still their company. Mm, that's interesting. I have some thoughts in my head, but before we get into that, how would you summarize the lessons that you've learned from this experience? Don't think that as an investor, like you're always a kingmaker. Just realize that your influence may have some limitations. To trust in the founder. It's their company. It's their mission, vision, and they are the ones executing. Three, look to be in a helpful position instead of a combative position, even when you and the founder, you know, come to a difference of opinion. Yeah, those are great lessons. And what I've been thinking about a lot as you were talking was, you know, my coffee business that we started in Thailand, Coffee Works, my best friend Dale and I started it, but he's the managing director. I'm not an employee of the company. I'm an equal shareholder, but I'm I'm outside. And man, Kevin, I got lots of opinions. <laughs> and those oh, yeah. opinions, I have to acknowledge that I'm never, ever on the front lines. And I learned many, many years ago, two things that I learned. First is that I provide ideas and let's say outside views. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have a value between us in our relationship, in our friendship, which is principles before personalities. Mm. And the idea there is that what's the principle here? We've joined together to create a business that brings value to customers and ultimately creates value for ourselves and our employees over a long period of time. So is it really worth it to squabble over some particular issue that I think should be this way and he thinks should be that way? I would always basically let him make that final decision. My, my role is to suggest, to listen, to feedback, to provide you know, support in every way. But ultimately, I like what you're saying is ultimately it's gotta be his decision. 
because he's on the ground, you know, dealing with that. And we value our friendship. We even said that if, if we ever got to a point where this business was going to damage our friendship, we're going to shut it down. We're going to end it because we don't want to lose our friendship. And again, goes back to values, you know, what we value individually and in our friendship, you know, is critical. So anything you would add to that? No, I think you said it very, very well. And, you know, when you talk about the friendship part, I do believe that, you know, like sometimes I've invested in friends and sometimes I've become good friends with people I've invested in. And regardless of the outcome, you're right, that the relationship really matters. And I believe that that as mature investors and mature operators, we can get past it. Mm. Like At the end of the day, we can see that, you know, yeah, perhaps in this situation, things were heated. But I've had, you know, I've had really great experiences where, you know, working with a good friend where, yeah, we are at odds. We say a few things that, that we don't mean. But if we're mature enough, we can always go back to each other and just say, you know what? What I said was out of line. I apologize. And for me, like 100% of the time, that's worked. And we move on. Mm. I'm in a 12-step program for my alcoholism and drug addiction, which I've been involved in, you know, and been in that 12-step program for 41, almost 42 years since I first got sober. And one of the things is that one of the steps is we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And I think that one of the big lessons about being mature, as you said, is that it's very simple. And I love to teach young people in my ethics class. I have an ethics for finance, but just an ethics class, which is when you're wrong, all you have to do is say, I am sorry, I was wrong. And it's amazing how many problems, when you sincerely apologize, dissolve. And so I think that's a great reminder of that. So let's now look at other venture people out there. Let's look at angel investors. Let's think about people that are doing the similar stuff that you're doing. And they, they listen to this and you know they've, they've got some thoughts from it. But I want you to think about, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what's one action? that you'd recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah, I would say that, you know, if you're going to be an investor, an angel investor, a venture investor, then here are my stories where sometimes we can be the ones to sort of self-destruct, you know, or be the burden for the company. And, and take that approach of that, I'm investing in someone's hopes, dreams, mission, and that I'm here to support it. And if you don't believe in those hopes, dreams, business mission, then actually the better thing to do is to not invest because likely there will be another company out there that will align with exactly what you are looking for. Uh, it's, it's great. You don't have to take up everything that's in front of you. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Ooh, well, the number one goal for us, I think for the next 12 months is that 
we're very, very fortunate that, you know, we're in our fourth fund right now. And it's, uh, we're, you know, we're still in fundraising mode, but we're very close to, you know, to where we wanted to be in our targets. And so I continue to be on the fundraising trail, but at the same time, you know, I'm always looking for just wonderful new high growth potential startups in the Southeast Asia region. So, and then of course, a big part of our job and actually one of the biggest pleasures of my life is to work with our existing companies and the founders that we've already backed and that we not only you know help them in regards to their business strategy or a sounding board for them in regards to execution we take the time to get to know founders sometimes even their spouses and just to be like hey how are you doing right because I think we all know right that when the founder or the operator of a company is somehow shaken or not not fully there like you should address that too people can't execute you know 100% on business where perhaps you know something is happening at home and so we actually extend that by building that relationship with founders you know we've been able to just have that wonderful relationship where we can ask how are you doing mm so valuable and you know i was just talking to a good friend of mine and that question how you're doing led to an hour-long discussion about the pain and struggles that he's facing right now and that led to you know being able to talk about it so i think that's a it's a great question well listeners there you have it another story of loss to keep you winning remember i'm on a mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Kevin, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of AE Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, I just say be excited about the investment space, be excited about innovation, get in there, keep building. You know, our region is exciting and I do see a bright future ahead. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.